I'll see myself on TV and they'll show me down the line and I'll be like, oh God, that did not look the way I wanted it to. But I, I'm trying to do what me and my coach work on. So if I wasn't doing that, it would probably look even worse. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another part train. I am Evan. This is Serm. What's up, Ev? It's great to be back. Good to see you, it's my good. friend. It's great to be back. We are pumped about this interview. In case you guys are new, we help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again. Because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We unpack the mental game with anyone from a PGA Tour pro, like today with Kelly Craft, to golfers like you and me. This interview is going to help a ton of golfers. I think it's going to help a lot of golfers avoid common mistakes that are getting in their way and getting back to basics. But before we get to this interview with Kelly, quick word from our friends at Roback. Cermak is wearing the hoodie right now, and, and I've it, never seen him look more comfortable great. in my life. I usually don't wear the hoodie for the pods, Ev, but I you're more know, of a Q-zip guy good. for the pods. But look at you. I know. It looks I'm good. Think, I'm taking a page out of your book. It looks the good. Hoodies, I will say this, Ev. I see more hoodies between friends, people in Chicago. They're, they're kind of everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of guys at the Dome. I was hitting balls a few weeks ago. A couple guys in, in rollback hoodies. So it's, it's fun to be like Ev. For a day. This is a day in the life. How'd it feel? Wear a hoodie. Feels nice. Feel good? Feels, nice. Feels yeah. good? I actually see a lot of athletes and even um, celebrities wearing a rowback hoodie yep. in photos. So it is the best hoodie in the game. Go to rowback.com, enter the code train, get yourself a hoodie, Q-zip, joggers, shorts, crew neck sweatshirt. They got it all. It's all stretchy. It's going to make you look good and feel good. So thanks to rowback. Anything else you want to say about this interview with Kelly before we get them to this interview? Yeah, I thought this is one of the best interviews we've done in a while, Ev. Incredible. I We always love the look in, right, to the PGA Tour player and all his success. I mean, he's one of the best amateur players, you know, USAM champ, uh, played in the Masters, top 20 in a European Tour event or an Aussie Tour event as an amateur. But yeah, look, five amateur it's wins. Not all, it's not all sunshine and roses, you know. He, he gets on the tour. He's got to get – he doesn't make it. He's got to go to Corn Ferry. He gets injured. He's also had three second place finishes. We talk about the ups and the downs, which is so cool. But man, Ev, the stuff he talks about, how to practice, how to just be simple because he's been caught in the traps just like all of us, right? Yeah. And I thought it really resonated with you too. So this was fantastic. I hope we can have Kelly on again and we're really rooting for him this year as the season's getting going. What a great show too to come after our goals episode. I think yeah. this is just a perfect interview to get people on the right track in 2024. So if you guys like this interview, do us a solid and follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, give us a review. I want to see more reviews coming reviews. in. Yep. We love getting your stories and inspire someone else to hop aboard the train. And it also helps out the show. Follow us at The Par Train on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at The Par Train our YouTube channel at The Part Train, which is going to be a big deal in 2024. And That's our awesome. email newsletter that sends out every Monday, gives you a simple mental key to keep you on track and also gives you first access to our merchandise drops. And we got a fun one coming soon. So no matter how many times you think about changing your swing, no matter how many videos you watch on YouTube or Instagram, no matter how many things are in your head going into a round, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. Kelly Craft, I know you probably like birdies, but welcome aboard the par train, my man. We're pumped to have you. Thank you. Love Good to be you. here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So I know we were talking off air, and I know we've chatted on Instagram. 
you're a watch guy as well. Oh, yeah. We figured this would be a fun place to start. What watch did you wear the most in 2023? Probably Rolex Daytona. Okay. Um, Strong. The white what? white face Daytona, yeah. So is that technically the panda? This, this guy right here. Oh, there it is. Is that the panda? Is that what they call that? Yeah, the panda. Yeah. Nice. That's a solid choice. How many watches are in your collection these days? I've got like, I think like four or five. Okay. That I've kind of accumulated over the last, I don't know, six or seven years probably. Okay. I got, I got to ask this question. Yeah, go ahead. I, I need your opinion too. Do you think when Tiger busted out the Tudor or the Tag Hour, excuse me, back in the early days, that blew up the watch? Just, it was just, we thought he was so cool, like having that big watch on after a win. Was there oh, something yeah. about that? <laughs> I mean, there had to be. Everybody wanted, you know, and then they came out with the Tiger Woods edition, like the square tag watch. You remember yeah. that thing? Yeah. I remember my parents got that for me, like when I was in college, maybe. And I lost it, and I was devastated. <laughs> and uh, I think it fell off in like a lake somewhere. We were having like a lake party, and I jumped off the boat, and it like just slipped right off my arm. Oh, that's, like, that's like a Titanic story, the necklace. This is tragic. <laughs> the bottom of a, some lake, uh, who knows, uh, Lake of the Ozarks, I think. That's a good yeah. story. Well, I've, I've got a G-Shock recently. We won't go and watch this for longer than this, but... I felt guilty that I wasn't wearing my tutor. So now I'm like, really? So now I'm like, man, do I, I want to get all these watches, but is it just going to be like this? You kind of always go thing? back to like the, the, the one that you really like, you love. Like, yeah. First one you bought. Like, I bought the first like nice watch that I bought. I wanted it was a Panerai. Uh huh. And I bought it and, uh, and I still wear it a lot. And, it's not as comfortable as these Rolexes to where these Rolexes are light and just like super easy. Right. But the, right. It's, it's kind of big and bulky, but I always go back to like wanting to wear that. And I don't know why, but yeah, it's, it doesn't sit around too long without me busting it back out. Totally. Yeah. There's nothing like the first one transitioning to visors for one second before we dig oh, yeah. in from a couple hat guys. Now this, this is tough because you're wearing a hat right now. I wasn't expecting this. So I'm going to have to, Oh, you know. what do you want? I don't just like wear a visor around. Like, <laughs> I'm just gonna have to adapt here. But I thought you were gonna wear. You were I gonna thought you were gonna be wearing a visor. <laughs> but from a couple hat guys like Serm and I to a visor guy, sell us on why we should switch to a visor. Why go visor on the golf course? And neither of us grew up in the South. Okay, we're Chicago. A couple Midwest guys. So, here. so you know, it, can we even pull it off? Would you? You know, hundred <laughs> percent, you can pull it off. I mean, the big brim. The big brim does actually protect your face more. Like when I go back to like really? just wearing, I wear a lot of hats at home when I play. And if it's like in the summer, it's super sunny. Like my face gets just beat up from the sun. And whenever I wear the visor, I don't feel like I get that bad sunburn. Mm. That's not the reason why I wear it. I wear it probably because I don't know. I started wearing it because I had like kind of longer hair and it's just kind of like I thought it looked cool and. And I wore it, I actually wore it a bunch in college. It just kind of kept it going. The Imperial visor is just great with the high brim. And whenever I go to like all these different like nice clubs and stuff, I always try to buy a visor with the logo on it. So I've got a oh, yeah. bunch of like, I got a pretty big like visor collection, I guess. The Callaway guys were just like, I asked them if they would do the Imperial visors for me because they were kind of like making their own. And I didn't love it. Like the bill was like way too bent on it. Mm-hmm. 
once they agreed to like order a bunch of imperial visors and logo them up for me i was totally in and that's like all i wear on tour now so I mean, it's cooler <laughs> but it's only figuratively ball. and literally I feel like you can like just like roll around town like wearing a visor you know what <laughs> i mean or like go to the grocery store wearing a visor like that's not like i don't think that's cool i mean maybe some people takes guts you know it's a power like, move it's good, like it's good like pool hat you know like if you're going to the pool or whatever and I mean, it just comes down to gray hair. Brad Faxon, Davis Love, Spencer Levine, right? Yeah. These guys, you know. Who pulls it hair. off better, Kelly, you or Keith Mitchell? I don't know. We've had this discussion before. He's actually working on a little bit of a visor, visor project at the moment right now that oh. he's trying to get on. So that could be something cool down the road. Okay. Uh, coming from a couple of visor guys, um, we have this thing at, at my club that I, here in Dallas that I play in a bunch of the bunch of the members have all converted to being visor guys <laughs> since uh, I've been wearing it and they all go to these nice clubs too and play and they all get visors with the with you know Pine Valley logo or the Cypress yeah, yeah. logo and they started we've started to call it like the cocky visor club mm. you know like cocky golf club logos on right. the visor making a statement then with the yeah. Visor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I thought I thought the Pine Valley polo was a statement or even the oh, Q-Zip, but the visor, that visor. might be the biggest statement you can make is a Pine Valley well, you visor. Go, you go big visor with a PV logo, and then you go like Cypress on the shirt and yeah. like another belt. It's Maybe just, a seminal you know, belt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Kelly, let's dig in a little bit. We're thrilled to have you here. Pumped to talk about your career, what's going on with your game, and it's going to be great yeah. for our listeners. So let's look back for a second. 2011. 2012 you played some of the best golf amateur golf in modern history with you know with, with the u.s sam victory with the trans mississippi then as an amateur you're t19 at the aussie the emirates aussie open yeah cut at the cut at the masters so just incredible you had said in a pga tour interview like eight or nine years ago that you felt like you really got good those last maybe two years, a couple years in college. Yeah. So walk us through that. Clearly you did. You know, clearly you're already a good player. You're playing at SMU, but you took a leap. Talk about that leap and all that yeah. success you had. What was different? Yeah. So, I mean, like going, going into college, I was a good player. I wasn't like a great player, I would say. And I just felt like every year in college from like my freshman year to my sophomore, junior and senior year, I just got a little bit better every year. I think I won my first tournament in college my sophomore year. And then the next year, I think I won twice and then maybe the same thing in my senior year. But my game really just kind of started to take off. And it wasn't really until like my junior year probably where I was like, man, I think that I want to be a pro, like I want to turn pro. And uh, so I really just kind of focused all my attention on on getting better. And, and I didn't really have much of a coach in college, so I started to sort of see some guys from my swing and, and stuff like that. And not, not just my college coach. Um, but everything was just kind of falling into, into place. And, and I kept with the results. I played more of a bigger summer schedule and it was, you know, it was just basically being competitive year round. And mm. so I felt like shooting a bunch of rounds in the sixties was just like kind of becoming a normal thing for me. And, uh, Obviously, that last year after I after I finished at SMU, I was going to turn pro 
right, you know, in August, like right after school got out. But I won the I won the USAM that year. And so I wanted to remain amateur so I could play in the Masters. So I kind of had right. to like fill my schedule up to basically April to to so I added in like all these kind of professional tournaments. That's why I went to Australia and played. And once you play in those, you kind of really get the get the feeling for like how good these guys are. Sure. And seeing that, I knew I even had to get even better. So that's why I kind of struggled. I think early on playing some of these sponsor exemptions on on the PGA Tour and and stuff like that. You know, there's just such a premium on a lot of different parts of your game that you that you necessarily probably didn't need in college. Yeah. Like what, Kelly? Like for me in college, you know, I, I was never like a long hitter, but I mean, I was hitting it. I don't know how far I was hitting it back then, but you know, probably like 165 ball speed, you know, like plenty far enough for then, but it didn't really matter like where you hit it necessarily. Like these courses and tournaments that we were playing weren't set up, you know, putting premiums on the fairway. Like I remember first couple of events, like I honestly don't even know if I like ever really aimed my driver. Like I just sort of like hit it out there and then, a lot of times it's in the fairway and if it wasn't then it didn't really matter but like on tour if you miss a fairway like there's a lot of holes you stand up on on the tee and you're like all right if i don't hit the fairway here number one i'm not going to make birdie two i'm probably not going to be able to hit the green so you really just have to start i really put an emphasis on making sure i was hitting more fairways and trying to hit the ball straighter that was the that was definitely the biggest thing and the second biggest thing was how tight they put these pins on these grains mm. and i was always like a aggressive hit the ball at the pin guy you know even if in college my coach was like we got to aim over here you know i would aim over there but then i would pull it to the hole you know <laughs> i just would want to hit it as close as i could and that took a while to like get used to and like actually you're like okay i actually do need to hit this just in the middle of the grain you know that sounds so cliche but a lot of times we have to do that even with shorter clubs unless you just have a perfect number, you know, putting's the best part of my game. So the more greens I can hit the, the more I, I can play, you know, play better. Mm. So it's just kind of, I kind of had to switch my game to become more professional instead of, uh, and really like take that seriously. Otherwise I don't think it would have worked out very well. <laughs> well, and that's, that's so challenging and humbling, right? Kelly, because you come off top amateur in the world shooting in the sixties consistently. Like you talked about, that was a big jump. Oh, yeah. Swinging free, playing relaxed, playing loose. And then it's like, you know, it's almost in a way you have to tighten up and get disciplined and focused yeah. in a different, well, know, I mean, I thought I was, I just to, thought to I was so leap. good. <laughs> I thought I was so good coming out of college and I was just going to like, you know, play well in the masters and then play well in all these other tournaments, just like right off the bat. And that wasn't the case. And, and I just sort of had to like take a step back and go, okay, check my ego a little bit and be like, I have to get better. Otherwise mm -hmm. I'm never going to be a PGA tour consistently. You know, I just switched a lot of parts of my game just to be able to like, to do that. Spent two years basically on the corn Ferry tour back in 13 and 14. I think 2015 was my rookie year on tour 15, 16 season. That's what that was good for. It was like just learning how to travel and like actually learning how to play golf. Not that those courses prepare you at all for the courses that we play on the PJ tour, because they don't, and they should do a better job of that. But it was more so just like, especially on some of those harder courses, actually playing more conservatively, but also, you know, trying to score as low as you can, but 
you know, you got to shoot 30 under to win tournaments on that tour, which is tough. But yeah, when you go to a place like Torrey Pines and, you know, if you shoot under par on the south course, you know, you're gaining ground. I mean, I remember one year that I shot like 75 or six in the last round. It was windy and rainy and moved up like 18 spots. <laughs> you know, it's a different animal of a golf course. Totally. Um, and we play a lot of those on the PGA Tour. So it's, there are a lot of easy ones, but for the most part, even some of the easier courses, you can get yourself in trouble way easier just because of how the, how well the courses are set up and where the pins are and, you know, rough height and all of that stuff. Was it easy, Kelly, to lose a little bit of the swagger from amateur days? Because I feel like we hear on this show and from a lot of pros that, like, they burst onto the scene. They've got all the success as an amateur or maybe on, you know, smaller tours and then you get to the quote the big show and some people have great success right away but a lot of people it's an adjustment how do you, how did you make adjustments but not puncture your self-image and your belief at the same time yeah that's a good question because it's kind of a weird deal because you know i went from i won the u.s amateur and then i think i was ranked like second or third in the world so you go from like being the guy and getting into any amateur golf tournament, really any PGA Tour tournament that you want, to not having status yet, and having to basically like go through this whole thing again of like proving yourself to yourself and to like the rest of the golf world. And I didn't get out there as quick as I wanted. I think I've underachieved for my career so far. Just like I haven't won. I've got a few second place finishes, but I mean my best finish on. FedEx Cup is like 70th. So, I mean, it just goes to show how good these guys are. And it is a tough, it's, it's tough to sort of like just keep that going from amateur golf. Cause I think that not every great amateur golfer transitions into a great professional golfer mm. for different reasons. And for me, it was the fact that I don't hit it a mile and I wasn't hitting it as straight as I wanted to. And so I just had to change some of those things to become a pretty solid player, not like a world beater, but like, I always feel like I go to a tournament and I feel like I can win. If I have a good week here, I'm going to be in contention, you know, on the weekend. And I've had a lot of those tournaments, not as many as I wanted to. I feel like a lot of times when I play well, it's, you know, I finished, you know, in the top 25, which is a good week, but it's not, you're not winning. So then you kind of fall into that a little bit, like, all right, that, you know, that was a great week or whatever. You finished 20th and you're all happy and everything like that. But at the same time, you're like, we want to do better than that also. Mm -hmm. When you're playing week to week, it's just hard to like stay in that mindset of, of you want to be great, but at the same time, you're playing for a living too. So you're playing for money and, and keeping your card and, and all that stuff. And when you start thinking about that kind of stuff, it's I think it kind of can slow you down a little bit at times. Kelly, you mentioned some, something – Go ahead, sir. Really interesting. And I think it's important for our listeners too. You talked about some people just really aren't meant to play professional golf, no matter really how good they are. And you alluded to it about understanding, adjusting to the lifestyle, learning how to travel, learning how to live this crazy life. Yeah. Can you talk about that and yeah. how you were able to figure it out and what surprised you and some of the challenges? Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's tough. I mean, it's crazy how much of the golf world, even people that know about golf, it's like they think that we just kind of 
show up on the weekends and make a million bucks. And it's like, there's so much more that goes into it. Like, you know, we get to a tournament on Monday and for me, usually Mondays is like a travel day. You get to a tournament on Monday and you're grinding Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, trying to figure out these golf courses, especially earlier in your career when you've never seen any of these places. And so it's tough just learning that, but then also then you have another four tournaments after that. So it's like, you're on a plane on Sunday night or Monday to the next event. And, you know, you got your caddy with you. And I've been married the whole time I was a professional. Well, I turned pro when I was, yeah, I got married when I was 25. So my wife's traveling with me. I think the one thing that was great for us was that we waited to have kids for a, for a good while. It made it a lot easier, I think, because it was just us two traveling. And, um, I was really just able to focus on my game and get into where I, I needed to be. And I think if I would have had a family when I was that young, it would have been, it would have been harder. And a lot of guys can do it, but it just seems like a bunch of added pressure and stress when you're, you know, it's not just you or just you and your wife doing it. And we loved, it was awesome. We traveled everywhere together and, and, you know, for 10 years before we basically, had, we had a kid and, and, and I think a lot of guys, you know, they start young and they, they have kids and then it just becomes harder. And if they're not where they want to be like on the PGA tour and they're just on the corn Ferry tour, I think a lot of those guys seem to stop playing earlier just because it becomes tougher and because it's not just about them anymore. So it's, you know, but the traveling aspect of it is when you're, you're gone, we're gone 30 weeks a year. I mean, we play 30 weeks a year and lucky for me, I live in Dallas, so I can get anywhere in like one flight. So if I miss a cut, like I usually come home for a couple of days but a lot of these guys are just out week to week, five weeks, six weeks in a row. They never come home. They can't come home to like, you know, see their coaches or wherever their coaches are. Cause you know, there's 40 tournaments a year and you feel like if you miss one when you're that young and up and coming that you're just going to drop back and it's going to be harder to get to where you want to be. Cause if you're kind of fighting for your card or to get to the PJ tour and you miss a couple weeks or miss a couple of cuts, you know, you're sliding down those points lists and uh, you feel like, or I felt like if I didn't play, then I wasn't going to get to where I wanted to be. I just felt like guys were just going to keep passing me. Mm. Then it's like, after, after a while, you, you just have to stop thinking like that. I mean, it's, mm. you know, that's like thinking about trying to make the cut coming down the stretch, you know, it's, it, it never works. And, and, uh, you really just need to just kind of take a step back and be like, all right, if I go home and I skip a week, and really get my game right and see my coach and get my body right, then the odds are you're probably going to play better when you go back out rather than if you just keep grinding and beating your head in on the same exact things week to week because it's hard to change anything on the road. Yeah. It's hard to work on anything. Is golf shape a real thing, Kelly? Because I feel like the, the we call them the passengers, our listeners. I mean, I know personally, if I go on a Ryder Cup trip, I go on an annual trip to Palm Springs with 16 guys, right? We play right. 27 holes a day. Yeah. My body is just, and it's three days. My body's beat to shit. My hands are <laughs> torn up and I'm just like exhausted. Just We're the same age. Palm Springs, you know? But like golf shape's got to be a real thing, right? Because sometimes I wonder how you guys oh, yeah. do it, let alone the travel, but hitting, even just hitting a hundred balls a day would make, I think yeah. the average amateur's body sore. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot because it's it's a one-dimensional sport. So we just turn in this one direction and you have to like even your body out. Otherwise, it's 
it's going to get bad. I mean, even like if I take a, a week or 10 days off, you know, like around Christmas time, I come back and like the first day I go out and pound balls, I'm probably going to hurt myself. Usually like I'll tweak my neck or a little, my back a little bit, just because even with that little of time off, it, it's still, everything just kind of tightens up and you mm -hmm. still think you can hit it as far as you did last time you played. We start swinging too hard and, you know, it's, it's tough. So like you, for me, like I just like, you know, I do all my activation stuff in the gym with my trainer, just make sure the body's right. So I don't hurt myself. And, you know, I did some of that stuff, chasing speed and all that stuff and ended up hurting myself in 2020, 1920. And so it's, but yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the golf shape is definitely a thing. And some guys are in way better shape than others on tour and, but I feel like all of us do kind of the same mobility exercises just to kind of keep everything in shape, you know, like rotational stuff, band work, just like little muscle toothbrush exercises just to kind of like mm. when you go out and play, you, you feel like you're swinging it fast and you're not going to tweak anything. You know, when you're, when you're doing that stuff every day, even if you're not playing golf, I feel way better than if I just cold turkey didn't do anything. So I try not to do that. I try to still kind of do my gym stuff, but, um, you know, sometimes that didn't work out, but, and then you're just going to be sore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kelly, you, you mentioned it's tough to work on things. So mechanics, so to speak during the season. Oh gosh. It's so hard. This is just a fact. I played in college and when I would get in traps, I come off a tournament and maybe didn't play so well or had a bad final round. I'd come back to practice with the team, you know, on Wednesday or well, Thursday, because yeah. we were off on Wednesday and try to work on something. And it's like, we got qualifying coming up, you know, know. and as opposed to just, Hey, we're thinking about your mind, thinking about your course management, thinking about your motions. But you as a tour player, I imagine you're, you're focused on your fundamentals, but talk us through what that week after maybe a, a bad tournament is like with your coach yeah, and what it, you're working on. It sucks. Cause like, you probably have a tournament the next week, you know, or the week after maybe you have a week off to like fix things and you never really feel like you can do that much. Some guys can do more than others. Some guys can play with four different swing thoughts, but I would say the majority of guys can't like it's one swing thought probably. And I think the guys that play the best are just, they've bought into one thing with their coach and then have worked on that. They've decided is the most important thing fundamentally and they've gone with that for a very long period of time and that's partly why i think that i've started to play better as of late and making a bunch of cuts and and higher finishes just because i feel like since basically probably march i've really just worked on the same exact thing even whenever i play bad we still go back to the one thing and it's like why didn't you play well? And you take some video and you're like, well, you're just not doing it as well as we want you to do it. So it's, it's still the same swing key, if you will, but it's just like, you just have to do it more. And it's really easy to, if you're playing well, to keep playing well, because you're not, you don't feel like you have to go change anything. And you can really just like every week, you can just work on like wedge distance numbers and, you know, putting like the speed of the greens and, uh, you know, the grass you're chipping on at different events and stuff like that. And you can stay on a roll because that's all you have to worry about. And you're not spending four hours on the range trying to figure out 
why you keep hooking it or, you know, whatever, something like that. It's just, it's almost impossible to, to like play a tournament and actually like work on your swing unless yeah. you're working on something that you're going to work on for a, for a while. I don't think I've ever played well being like, okay, I'm not hitting it well. I just have to do something totally different this week, you know, and you try to, and then you get on the first tee and you start hitting some weird shots early and you just, you just have to abandon it and just try to play golf the best you can because it's, it's not going to work. <laughs> Yeah, what is your want to know what his one thing yeah, yeah what is your one key right now <laughs> he knows <laughs> me well at the top of my swing like i'm sure you've seen my swing before but yeah um, it kind of floats this way like i come like over the top a little a bit little over top move yeah 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 and so i really just work on in transition everything just kind of going back deeper a little bit deeper mm. and not so much because i get like on top of it and steep and and i'll lose my face at the ball and so like i'll hit a lot of face pulls but if i can kind of keep my left arm like lower on my on my uh on my chest and deeper then it sets me up for like a much better path and more can i can kind of like rehinge the club coming through so i can basically just hit these like little holds and not feel like i'm gonna lose the face too far left and hit it left mm. so that's basically like all we've worked on for um you know since like almost a year now sometimes some days it's just like super easy though and some days i'm like really trying to get the club deeper at the top and transition and i'll take a video and i'm like god that's like the worst swing i've ever made for whatever reason I, it's the same feeling it's just like i don't do it as well that day hmm. so it's you know you're always trying to be perfect and in, in what you want to do and but some days i feel like i have to go a mile to get it there where I want it. And other days I feel like I can just play golf and swing normal and it looks great, but I can definitely tell if I'm doing it right by the shot shape. If I start hitting these like low left ones that are not in the air, then I know I just have to be deeper because mm. it'll my attack angle better and it, everything. So just is, is deeper your phrase? Like what do you have a funny little phrase that you say to yourself to remind yourself? We just say like, we just say like more left arm to chest. Yep. Not, left arm like running away from me like too yeah. much because i'll get too much space in here you know but if i keep that arm on my chest longer and like because i'll turn and then my turn will stop and then my arm will just like keep going and that's mm. not that's not what i want to do so it's basically like just like be more connected and a little bit deeper at the top and that's my kind of my recipe for good shots so my fellow passengers, stay seated, keep your seatbelts fast, and the train's going to make a quick stop, and then we'll keep it moving. I just wanted to come on here and say that in 2024, we are expanding our YouTube plans, our focus on YouTube, and I'm excited to have another avenue for you guys to continue to enjoy the ride and learn how to smile through bad golf, right? A couple quick announcements. Every podcast you guys are listening to on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen is going to have a video podcast alongside it. So if our podcasts come out on Sundays, the videos will be up on YouTube on Monday, the following day. So if you want to watch it and see our guests, and even though people say our faces are better for radio, if you want to see them, great. They're on our YouTube at The Par Train. And also my own journey, Matt's journey on trying to get better, me on my goal, trying to make sure I have a coach, 
Sarum getting back into competitive golf. We're going to document all of it on YouTube. A lot of my lesson videos are already up there. So go to youtube.com slash at the par train or just tap our link in bio on our social medias at the par train. Hop aboard the channel and subscribe. It would mean the world to get your guys to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any videos, but also so that we can continue building this community and helping each other enjoy the ride and play our best golf in 2024. We'll hope to see you guys over there. We're probably going to be doing more and more giveaways and different things around our YouTube. So make sure you're subscribed and hopped aboard our channel. And let's get you back to the show. Kelly, we just talked about something like this on our goals podcast yeah. about how I made a proclamation to myself. I'm a mid single digit, not as good as Serum, but I realized like I change shit every week. Oh. Every week I have a new takeaway feel and I just realized like, you know, enough's enough. I got a coach. I'm not going to change anything unless we decide it. And he's literally talking to me about the stuff you're describing, which is we've got our process and you hit a shot. You ask yourself, did I do the thing I'm working on? If the answer is no, go back and do your thing. But you can start to match ball flight. Like you said, low left, you match that yeah. to not doing your thing. And then you just know to go back and do your thing. What we talked about yesterday was it's it seems to be such an energy saver. Like I'm not draining my energy trying to search or create or change stuff. You know what you do, you know why you do it, and you just have to get back to that thing. Is that fair? Yeah. Is it an energy saver yeah. for you? Oh, 100 percent Because then you feel like I feel I feel like now, uh, when I go to a tournament, like I already know what I'm doing. Right. So I find myself spending way less time on the range and more time on the course. Yeah. Or the putting grain or the chipping grain, because if you don't do those things, well, you're not going to probably have a great week either. So, you know, I'm spending a lot more time putting just because I go to the range and I hit a bag of balls and everything feels great, you know, then I'm, I feel ready and I feel good to go. So yeah, it's like way less stress, mm -hmm. um, but like going to a tournament, like the last coach I worked with, I just felt like our ideas would just, they would change so much like week to week. And then he wouldn't come to a tournament and then I'd be at a tournament and I'd do something totally different because it felt right at the time and I would hit it good on the range. Then I'd have a decent result by just going with that like one thought for the week. Then I'd see him the next week and he'd be like, I don't like where that's putting you. It's going to be bad in the long run. So then we just go down another rabbit hole of like something else that he thinks that we should do. And it just, it just felt like we were constantly, there was definitely like an overall place where we wanted to get to but there were just too many different aspects that were changing to get us there all the time mm. and now i just feel like it's you know one or two things and that's where we're trying to go and everything else is just very performance based like doing my wedge numbers i know that in order you know i don't hit the ball i carry the ball 280 and and if it's firm then i hit it further than you know 300 or whatever but like i'm not a long player and so I know I have to be a great putter and I have to be great from 50 to 130 yards. Um, that's where I'm going to make up my ground. And so I, mm. I, I, I have to work on that stuff every day. And well, I'll do like little wedge tests and stuff like that, that my coach has kind of created just like random wedge numbers. And, you know, I, you can do all this stuff on TrackMan now and it gives you a rating and we just try to get over a certain grade 
you know, and do that a couple times a day. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're on the course and you've got 70 yards and you're like, I know exactly how far to take this one back. It's great. Or laying up on a par five and you want to be like my favorite numbers with the wedges, 85 yards. It's just, it's kind of a sweet spot for me. And I feel like I'm going to hit it to like, give me every time I hit it. And so. What a great feeling that must be. Yeah. I don't always, (laughs) I don't always hit it to give me, but I hit it close a lot. A lot closer than I probably would chip it if I tried to hit three wood up there from 280. So, yeah, um, you know, it's just kind of managing that stuff. But when you don't have to think about your your swing being mentally feeling like so off every week, and you're just like, all right, I just got to go do my stuff, you know. Yeah. Or even even after your round, you just go. Even if you hit it well, it's like my caddy's like, all right, let's just go hit you know half a bag of balls and just do our drill, the same drill we've been doing for the last six months and just make sure it's locked in there for tomorrow. And, Kelly, uh, this, yeah. is so, this is so good because the way I'm thinking about it, I guess on your behalf, is from a full swing perspective. Yeah. It's if I can get my body right before the round. Yeah. If I can get my body loose, if I can do my pre-shot routine, focus, commit, and, and get deeper, that's it. That's it. You're like, good. You're going to play well. I'm going to be good. Yeah. Now, obviously, we're going to hit bad shots, but that's the thing. Like, that's what I can control, and we'll see what happens. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. You're just trying to hit more good shots than you normally do on any given day, and you're going to play mm-hmm. better. You're still going to hit bad shots. You're still not right. going to do one great, you know. But it's like it, I struggle with uncertain wins and yeah, certain you shadows, even that it just like bothered me, and I just feel like I don't swing as well whenever. They're there, but yeah, if you just have like a general knowledge of like, you know what you have to do, then you just try to do that the best you can. I mean, that's all, that's all we can do. You know, what's funny about this term is we haven't explicitly talked about it like this on the show before, but we usually talk like mental game, swing, physical, but all of this kind of flows into your state and your mental game like the way that you practice how you think about your swing like is it creating more stress or is it creating less like this all kind of goes together so i want to ask you kelly like what is your relationship or definition of your mental game like is that something you focus on is that important to you yeah it definitely is um i think at times it's more important than others i worked with a couple mental game coaches just not really that consistently just because sometimes I felt like I was really playing well, but I was also working with these sports psychologists and I felt like we were almost looking for problems whenever there maybe wasn't something there Mm. because when you are playing well, it's much easier to be better mentally. It's just like when you're hitting it where you're looking, you're happy. You're not like yelling at your caddy for getting the win wrong or, you know, whatever it may be, but everything just is kind of going together. And whenever I was working with a couple of these sports psychologists, I felt like my game was in decent shape and I really just felt like I needed to stop thinking about thinking and just sort of let just go play golf. But then there's other times when I was, was struggling or, or maybe had a warped sense of reality with hitting the, the ball too many time at at the pen you know or stuff like that where you have to check yourself mentally and make yourself play the pole like it needs to be played whether that's hitting a three wood or a hybrid off the tee and hitting a wedge to 20 feet like because you can't be 
short, long or left, you know, to the pin. And you just have to like really make yourself do that. And it's easier definitely said than done. And then the other part of it is your expectations. Like when you're, when I'm playing really well, but I get off to a bad start or something like that, having the right mindset to like flip and start to hit good shots again and not let what just happened, you know, be like, Oh my God, I'm so unlucky. You know, like, cause we all feel like that a lot mm. and you really just, it's, it's hard not to be like that, but at the same time, it's never going to lead to good things. So that's kind of where your, my caddy and stuff comes in. He's like, all right, let's just start over and, you know, yeah, we're four over after three holes, but like, let's shoot even today. And then let's forget about these three holes. So then you play the rest of the way in and you shoot four under and you're like, oh, I played great. Even though you shot even, you know, you really felt like you turned it around and it's harder. It's hard to do, but, uh, and I can't always do it that well, but I think I'm, I've become better at that as a, as a pro. You have to have a short memory out here. I mean, yeah. it's when you start thinking about stuff you were doing two, three weeks ago, like the bad stuff, it's, it's never good. You'd always try to think about, or at least me, I always try to think about like great shots I hit or like yesterday on this hole, I hit an eight iron from, you know, 165, like a perfect, like hold cut to the right pin. And it was, you know, just was, everything was perfect about it. And my caddy will remember that stuff too. And he'll be like, you need to hit the same shot you hit on, you know, that, that eighth hole yesterday. Like it's the same shot right here. He's like, do you remember that shot? I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that shot. So we'll take stuff like that and like go add that into like the good stuff into other shots, whether that's at the same tournament or at a different tournament. You know, you got to remember the good and go with that, and not not focus too much on like the bad shot you hit from the divot and made double. You know, on the one hole, just you start going down that unlucky route. It's just not, it's not good. Hell mm. yeah, I love what you said about how to deal with bad starts. Absolutely. You're one of the great players there is, and you get off to bad starts, a couple of bogeys, a double. And yeah. a lot of amateurs are always getting off to bad starts. It's common, right? And yeah. then terrible front, great back. Yeah. But I think what's, what you said is really important because it keeps perspective. All right. So you go double, double, let's take an amateur player, double, double bogey to start You're five over after three. Just think about par you as Kelly Craft, you know, three seconds on the PGA Tour to talk about, let's just shoot even today. Yeah. When you, let's be let's be honest, even's going to get you nowhere, but it helps your mind. It resets you. I had a sports yeah. psychologist tell me too. After you have a bad hole, how can I make par on the next hole? Yeah. As opposed to I got to get it back. I got to make birdie here. We got to do this. Yeah. You can't let me. Talk you can't try that. to make it happen too fast. You just have to kind of. And I guess thinking about. You know, if you're, if for me, like if I'm four over or whatever early and we're like, let's get it back to even, that's a little bit of like outcome thinking. But at the same yeah. time, I've always been sort of good at that about just, you know, all right, we got 12 holes left. Let's just try to make four birdies because if we shoot even today, it's playing tough. Like, yeah, we're going to move back, but, you know, we still have a great week. Like if we shoot even, but if we shoot four over, it's, you know, the week's over. So, you know, you got to like, see see the bigger picture in that sense and just like try to claw back the best you can and setting little goals like that like get back to even for me has always worked and it may not work for a lot of guys but to me in college even I remember doing that 
you know, I'd be three over or whatever. My coach would be, come over and he'd be like, oh, I know you're going to get it back to even. And I'm like, oh, yeah, coach, I'm going to get back to even for sure. So maybe that's where it came from. But, yeah, just kind of like setting a little like round goals within your round um, is always is always is good. And like you can even go like the opposite and, and go. I've kind of always struggled with like when I'm playing really well and I'm like four or five under through nine holes. And you're like, God, I'm going to shoot nothing today. And then all of a sudden you bogey 12 and it's like you bogey 14 and you're like, and you're like losing your mind because you feel like you're playing great. And now you're playing average. And so you have to like have that mindset of not getting too comfortable when you're that many under par and just like keep going the same way you've been going. Cause you're going to finish around better than if you just sit there and, sort of spin your wheels and go you get comfortable and then all of a sudden you make a bogey and it's like i just lost my focus and you know so it's tough it's it's almost tougher when you're playing really well to keep playing well and finish out the round or finish out a tournament than it is to sort of if you play bad to try to like fight back i feel i feel like the fighting back part is easier for me than is to keep a great round going or, or shoot like really low it's kind of what Tiger used to talk about. Like he just, yeah, he'd create mini goals, right? Like these little mini games to keep himself competitive. That's how he probably made 142 straight cuts, which is crazy. <laughs> Look, Kelly, one other thing I picked out of what you said sounds very similar to something we heard Maria Fossey tell us from the LPGA tour, which is, and it's really stuck with me. It kind of blew my mind. She said the number one job of her caddy is to remind her that she's really fucking good. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so take a step back. Let me unpack what that actually means. One of the best players in the world, you as well. And you need to be reminded that you're good. But then I think about the amateur player. If that's important for you, when you're seeing the ball go through your windows consistently, and maybe you'll get a bad bounce or... You miss a green, you don't get up and down, or you you string together a couple mistakes, you make a double. Like for us, that happens all the time. We're not seeing the good ones as often as you. So would you say that's probably even more important is reminding yourself and remembering good ones for the amateur okay. as it is for the pro? No, a hundred percent. Yeah. For for both sides, for pros and amateurs. I mean, yeah, I mean, you have to remember all the good shots and forget the bad ones. Yeah, and just know like deep down that you know if the putts aren't falling and you're hitting it great or better than you usually do, then you just have to stay positive and be like they're gonna start to fall here soon. Or if you're making all the putts for par and you're not hitting it well, you know you just have to like keep telling yourself, well, if I can just hit it a little bit better, you know I'm gonna keep making these putts and they're gonna be for birdie instead of par. And so you just kind of have to really trust like you know what you do well. And and trust that it's gonna it's gonna happen, and not want it to happen too fast. It's, that'll just come. And my caddy tells me that all the time. He's like, "Dude, you're hitting great, you know, like, and you're hitting great putts. So don't do anything different. They're gonna fall. Just let it happen." And you know, so then I just kind of tells me, "I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. You know, instead of because all I, you know, all we really think about is like." I just shot even par on that side and I hit nine greens and I missed 
six putts inside 15 feet and I made, you know, nine pars. It's like, you start thinking about, well, is my stroke okay? And, and then my caddy's going, well, did you start everything down your line? It looked like you did to me. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, well, why don't I just help you read some of these putts now? You know, and we'll get on the same page and maybe he's got a different read than I do or whatever. But it's always like reminding me and hammering at home that you're a great putter. They're going to fall. Like, don't even worry about it. And so, yeah, it's kind of crazy that we all have to hear that sometimes, too, and that you don't just think it yourself. Right. Kelly, what what makes you a great putter? Or what do you think has gotten you to be a, a great putter? Man, I think I've always just been a, a pretty solid putter through my whole career. Um, but I think what's gotten me to become a really great putter is probably like my form station. Uh, that I just do every day. So just gets me in the same exact setup every day. I know where my shoulders are. I know they're square, my arms. I know where it's a mirror thing, so I know where I want my left eye to be. <clears throat> and I get on that thing a lot of times uh, before a tournament round or just any time. And, you know, like my shoulders will be a little open or my left eye will be too far forward or too far inside the ball. And I just... It's just like a a checklist, and I just go down the list, and I'm like, all right, I got to feel like my shoulders are a little more closed today because they're open. So I get in the same exact setup every time I play, and then all it is after that is just speed work and just knowing the speed of the greens and playing these courses that, like in Palm Springs, you know, like everything breaks towards that mountain. It breaks away from that mountain more. So just knowing little stuff like that, but it's really just, you know, after that, I feel like when I put the best, it's all just speed, matching line and speed. That's it's hammering the fundamental setup. I mean, it's so important. Setup, it, setup is the most, like, by far, the most important thing. And it's just, <laughs> you know, from everything from how wide my feet are to my shoulders to hand position, if I just do that every, every day, then I'm going to be way more consistent than I would be if I wasn't doing that. And pretty much everybody now on the PGA Tours has a form station that, that they do. And I wouldn't say that, that I bet there was 20% of guys that were doing that stuff, you know, back in when I was a rookie, like 2015, 16, and now pretty much everybody does. Wow. That's what's so funny. Yeah. Kelly, I feel like we've heard this so often, like pros, they hammer on the fundamentals. And I just remember listeners being like, well, of course they focus on fundamentals. They've got awesome swings and, and putting strokes and like, that's all they need to do. But now that I've started to get real great, consistent instruction, I've learned about the domino effect of if your grip's a little off or your setup's a little off, you're going to create something that's off. And now you're going to have to compensate to save it. And that dictates everything. So yeah. it's like back to basics is even more important especially, for us. Especially in putting basics is like, key because all good putting strokes if you just looked at the putter they're all the same like through the ball they're all the same same thing with ball striking but that's only through impact on the ball striking right. like everybody's swings look different some guys have way more hinge and they take it over the top or they loop it way under with more lag but if you just looked at two three feet around impact the best ball strikers in the world like the club moves the same through impact and the putting stroke is so short that 
you just have to be super square. The longer the putter is square, you know, you're just trying to return the putter back to setup, like, you know, zero degrees open or shut, you know, it's like, you know, that's perfect. So your setup might be a little different with like left hand low or whatever, but if you can consistently arc it just, you know, four degrees back and through, you know, that's, that's kind of the way the best putters in the world do it. And, and, you know, they don't push or pull putts very much. And that's one thing that I think that form station really helps with is like, cause it's instant feedback. If you don't hit a perfect putt, you're going to hit one of the tees and the ball's not going to go in the hole. Right. And so it's just, it's instant feedback. And when you can flush 20 balls through there in a row, you know, you're stroking it pretty good and you get on the course and you feel like, like very rarely in a, in, in a round, do I ever feel like I, I push or pull putts like ever. It's a good feeling. And yeah, it is. But that's nice all that feeling. work you're Putting doing. Putting is the best part of my that's game. That's what man. people have to understand. Let's be, that's all the, every day, form station. Yeah, hundred percent. Every time you go to the course before you play or whatever, just it doesn't like. Sometimes I do it for, like my caddy sets it up on the putting green before I yeah. come out, and that's the first thing I do before a tournament round. And I might only do it for like four minutes, three minutes, five minutes, or sometimes I clip a tee or something. I'm like, huh, interesting. So I'll kind of look at my setup, and it's usually because my shoulders are open, and I'll just close my shoulders, and then I start flushing them again. It's usually mm -hmm. something so simple that is fixed by you know in just a couple minutes, but that you wouldn't know you were doing it unless you you know otherwise because you hadn't been on this this little form station. And so when I when I miss putts, I just feel like it's it's because my speed was off. I hit it too hard or I hit it too soft usually, or just a misread because that happens a lot too. And we could be changing our stroke and it could be a setup issue. And we're doing something that has nothing to do with the problem. Yeah. The setup That's what's so crazy. Yeah. yeah it, it could all, you could, you could literally probably get on a form station and, and get into a perfect setup with everything square, get into a setup that you like, like some guys like their eyes more over the ball. As opposed to, I like mine just on the inside of the ball. A little inside, um, yeah. And, you know, if you just crank that out every every day or every time you play, or even, you know, for an amateur golfer once a week or whatever, just get into that, doing the same thing every day, then, you know, you're going to, there's, you're going to putt better 100%. Let me ask you this, Kelly. What would you say was the, not to end on a downer, but I am curious because I think it'll help a lot of people. What would you say is the lowest, part of your can you think of a your low point your low moment in pro golf man it was probably like so i had surgery in 2000 that's your hip, right? after the play yeah my hip yeah. To the end of 2019 20 season and i worked hard on getting back and i probably could have come back a little bit earlier uh, but it was the covid year and i was like i'm just gonna wait until next season to start and uh so I started and, and my hip felt a lot better, but after, after that year, I just didn't, I kept, like I said, I kept going down these like rabbit holes of chasing speed and working on different things in my swing that didn't necessarily correlate to like one specific goal. And there was just a lot of bad results. I started hitting it, the ball really short. My swing speed went way down. 
and it would think it was just a combination of like not practicing the right way. I wasn't putting that well because I was putting for par a lot and that's always harder. And it was just, that was probably like 21 was probably into 22 was probably like the worst I had ever, I had ever played. Like, I just remember thinking like, God, I used, I used to just be so much better than this, you mm -hmm. know? Right. And, I, and I lost my card and I had to go back to Corn Ferry finals and get it back, which I did. And it was just, but the, and even after that, I would come back and I'd play and I just still felt, felt like I was searching tried a few different coaches type of deal and just really couldn't find anything that I loved to, I bought into it and I, and I tried it for a while and it just never have a couple good results then, but it wasn't like, there was no consistent, like top 25s going on. It was just nothing to really sort of look forward to. But when I started working with this new coach, you know, started like a year ago, everything started to sort of fall into place and it took a while, but I was really hitting it good. Uh, it just wasn't seeing the results that early on. And then, like, towards the end of this year, and then I, then I played great in the fall. It really started to to get a lot better. But, yeah, that low point was, like, you just never feel like you're going to be that good again. It sucks. Well, well, Kelly, then, you know, tell us for 2024 your goals. Because you did have – we're looking at your you, – you did have a great couple of months at the end of last year. Yeah. How do you look into this year and build off the, that momentum? So we do, like – all of our goals are, like, very like stat based and you know I, obviously my number one goal is to win a tournament and I, and I feel like my game is in a great place and I can do that but you know like I want to be a top 50 player from uh, 50 yards to 130 yards that's the number one goal I, I gotta hit more than 65% of my fairways that's a goal and I want to be top 10 in putting and if I do those three things, I mean, I'm going to, I'll have a great year. And so we're really just focused on performance based goals like that. Sure. Rather than structural swing stuff, because we're just going to continue to work on these same things and uh, really rep out like those wedge numbers and checking my putting every day, whether it's on my form station or in the Sam putting lab and just making sure everything looks good. And then just kind of let me go play some free golf, you know, just free it up and try not to worry about it too much. But when your game's in a good spot, it's just, it's, it's kind of stress-free. Um, the frustrating part for me right now is I finished, I had such a bad first kind of half of the year that I didn't start playing well until kind of the summer. So I uh, lost my full playing privileges on the PGA Tour. So I have conditional status now, which is probably going to get me in, you know, 15 or 18 events or something like that. But I kind of just have to wait for my number to be called and be ready to play whenever it happens. Um, mm. But then it's like, you know, you got, you can't like try to make it all happen at once when you do get your number called, you just got to go and do your thing. Like you normally would do any other tournament if you had full status or not. I just don't want that added pressure. So I'm just trying to stay ready at home. And, and uh, whenever I get, get a chance to play, I feel like I'll be ready. Love it. Mm. it sounds like to me to sum it all, all up it sounds like you were going back to what kind of got you to your low point versus now is you were kind of chasing something that was outside of yourself which is speed yeah. and distance yeah. and, and you tear your labrum doing that yeah yeah you terrible. got injured right yeah. get injured again right yeah injured yeah. again and then um searching trying a bunch of different stuff 
And I think everybody that's listening has gone through that. And so trying to get back and get instruction from a professional to get you, it's making me feel better about my plan actually for this year. Cause you just find your thing that you're naturally good at. You got to find the thing to keep working on. And then you got your routine. And it seems like to me, Kelly, sir, Matt, keep me honest, but it seems like what Kelly can teach all of us is it seems Kelly, you're really good at like, these are the things I have to check in on. These are the things that I do. These are the things that I do well. So I'm going to keep leaning into the things I do well. I'm not going to try and be anybody else. And I'm just going to keep checking in on the process-driven fundamental stuff that lets me play my best. And then I'm going to go play. And it yeah. seems to be that's how you play free. Yeah, for sure. When you just go through all those little checklists every day, to me, I can just go play golf. And, you know, when I do have this stuff that I've been working on, like wedge numbers, and I have 120 yards, like I know exactly how far to take the club back. And I just feel like I'm way more prepared than I would be if I, if I wasn't doing that stuff. And I was just going to the range and working on making it look pretty at the top. Cause I went through a period of time with a coach that we, you know, we knew how we wanted to make it look at the top, but it was like, we didn't really do anything other than like, well, how is it going to get there? You know? Right. And, and why doesn't your body want, want to want it to get there? And I can make it look pretty, but it like, it was, I was swinging very slow and it's, you can't play like that. It's to, no. you know, you gotta, to me, and that's what I used to do too. Like when I first got my card, it was like very, I was just working on wedge numbers and uh, distances and, you know, hitting fades and draws and not worrying too much about my swing. And I had, you know, I played pretty good in my first, you know, three or four years on tour. And, and uh, then I got hurt and I started, with the whole chasing the speed stuff and then trying to figure out how to make my swing look the way that I wanted it to. And, you know, it's probably just never going to look the way exactly the way I want it to, but it doesn't have to. That's the thing. It doesn't, it doesn't have to, if it's repeatable, right. Then you're doing your job. There's a lot of other things that you can control a lot easier than maybe the way you want your swing to look is kind of what I've figured out and hopefully it continues to get better. And I think it will, um, but I'm not sitting there like, and I see, you know, like even when I play well, like in a tournament, I'll see myself on TV and they'll show me down the line. I'll be like, oh God, that did not look the way I wanted it to, but I, I'm trying to do what me and my coach work on. So if I wasn't doing that, it would probably look even worse. And it's obviously I'm doing it well enough to play, to hit good shots. Cause like, you know, those shots that I hit, they show on TV are good. So I'm doing it well enough and as long as i keep working on it a little bit but the same thing and not like switching gears and doing something else then i feel like it's only going to get better and you know doing the putting stuff and the wedge work and that's all super super that's key stuff to, to do as well scary with the wedges and the putter yeah gotta be scary you're, with those you're, for gonna, sure. you're gonna be tough to beat yeah last question we can't let him go before we ask him this sir my man sir mac we pushed him this year. 2024 is the year of him getting back into competitive golf. He's going to try and qualify for a U.S. Mid-Am. His yep. brothers have all qualified for a USGA event. He has not. This is his year. Advice to Serm on being a former D1 player. The guy 
cleans up in scrambles and charity tournaments, but he hasn't played in a solo competitive event back, in back over a decade for the amateurs. Yeah. yeah so really? what, what is your advice to sir? I just haven't, I haven't played any individual, true individual competitive golf post college. We're your age. So I've got the bug to put the time in. Yeah. Do a qualifier. I, too. My advice would be to gear up for these things, but to be go play with some other great players, amateurs or some pros in some like uh, in some money games and get yeah. the juice flowing. And then you don't have to play for a lot of money. I mean, I, I love to play money games. We got some good, good games around here with a bunch of guys. And that always to me helps simulate like uh, tournament golf the most when you have to, cause it's still individual. And when, when you're having to make putts to tie holes or to win holes and it means something, you got to make birdies in money games, you know? So yeah, it'll and teach you a minute. Exactly. I'm qualifier. You got to shoot a couple under, you know? So, yeah, for sure. I, I can do that with my brothers. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Kelly. Yeah. But, so that's, that's kind of like when I'm sitting at home and I'm trying to, I got some time off and I'm getting ready. That's all. Like all I do is, is if I'm not working with my coach, go through all my stuff in the mornings and then we'll get a game in the afternoon and we'll go play and, and just staying competitive. Cause you're probably going to be nervous for, you know, it's the first tournament oh, no in doubt. a while, but I guarantee you'll be less nervous if you're already used to like competing with the boys and like going out and, and trying to shoot a, shoot a number rather than just it. going out and like raking putts and playing nine holes. And you know, it doesn't, you got to put something on it. Love it. It's great. It's well, true. at Kelly craft golf on Instagram, anything else before we go, that we talked about that you want to reiterate for the golfers out there or something that we didn't cover that you think is important for them to hear? I would just say that to all the amateur golfers out there, it's, you know, it's tough and you don't get to practice as much as some of the pros do. And I think just really dumbing down the way when you do have time to go practice and work at it is really important and just, going out with like a plan, you know, and, and some days you might just be like, you know, screw it. I'm just going to go play. And that's great too. I think playing is always like the number one, like, is this what you want to shoot lower scores? You have to go play golf. If you just go hit balls for a year into a simulator or a, on the range and you're striping it, I guarantee if you haven't played golf in forever, then you're not going to score that well. Cause there's, you know, it's, it's not one shot after the next, you got to learn how to score. You got to learn how to do all that. So, I would say just dumb it down, really go out with a plan, find a, you know, a putting aid that you like, you'll start putting better, find a coach that you trust, take some lessons, get a good game plan and just work on the same things for a while and, you know, take those to the course. And you're basically just trying to take it from the driving range or the putting green and doing the same thing on the course. And it's always going to be harder on the course. So don't get frustrated but just try to do it the best you can and, and you're going to see good results. Have love a plan. It. Fundamentals. I love don't it. go do a whole bunch of stuff on the driving range. Yeah. Don't like, be listening Instagram to Instagram, YouTube. And, Instagram. Oh yeah. Gosh, trust me. Yeah. I've done it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> if you find something you really like, you know, try it for an extended period of time. And if you don't see results, then maybe try something else, but you know, yeah, you, you can't, just, can't just Save. look at Instagram and, and try to swing one way, and then the next day you saw another tip, and you try to do that. You're never going to get any better doing that. 
I've, I, I hope everybody saves themselves the embarrassment of doing what I've done at some of the best golf courses in the world. Just don't do it. Don't look at Instagram <laughs> and YouTube before a world-class round. Just work on the same shit. That's um, right. Well, Kelly, this was great. This yeah. was, uh, I think it's going to help Enjoy a lot of people and we had a lot of fun. Sounds good. good Take care, man. Hey guys, this is Evan. Before you hop off board, if you love the podcast and you love our merchandise drops, I think I got something you'll probably enjoy. You go to thepartrain.com, hop aboard our email list, get a free newsletter that keeps your game on track, a little mental nugget every Monday. And then maybe even more importantly, first access to merchandise drops before any Instagram promotion. We send it to our email subscribers first. And so if that interests you, hop aboard the email list at thepartrain.com. Hope you guys enjoyed the ride. Take care.